Happy Friday, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast, episode number eight. So a tip of the cap to the Hawk himself, Andre Dawson. Uh, Things are rolling here. Cubs playing baseball this week, spring training games. We've got so much to talk about with you this evening. We've got some useless Cubs trivia. Randall's got an old box score that we're going to talk about. We will recap the first week of spring training, some good things and bad things that we've seen here over the last five days or so. A couple of transactions, the Cubs making some moves on the pitching staff, adding a veteran infielder to the mix too, one of Randall's all-time favorites. And then we're going to open up a new segment here that we're going to run through over the next couple of weeks leading up to opening day, where we preview a different group of Cubs players, uh, generally broken up by position. We wanted to start off with the area of the team that's probably the most solidified at this point in spring training. So we're going to look at the outfielders. We'll break down the guys that are locks to make the team, who's battling for bench spots, and generally what we think the outfield is going to look like. Um, So a lot to get through here this evening. Jeremy Spector is here. Jeremy, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm happy for the uh, number eight, the Dawson, my favorite player growing up. And, uh, the namesake of my little pup, my pooch, Dawson. So I, I hope he's happy today, too, as well. Great dog. Great yeah. dog. Much nicer dog to me than the previous dog. Had a little run-in at the old spot there. Um, but really cool you named your dog Dawson. I think that's yeah. cool. The oh. hawk. The little, little baby hawk. Little baby chilling hawk. there. Uh, Randall J. Sanders is here tonight. Randall, you're looking dapper. How are you this evening? Fine. Happy to be done with another week. Yes. It's been a particularly grueling week. Uh, I am here. I'm Ronan, and I've had a particularly rough week here. I know I've shared this with you guys, but I wanted to open up the podcast talking about a little bit. I've had a a bit of an irritation with my right eye over the last couple of weeks. It's been bothering me, and I didn't know, did I do something? Is something wrong? I reached a breaking point, gentlemen, this week, went into the eye doctor, got my eye scanned. They put drops in it. Sure enough, Randall, I scratched the surface of my right eyeball. And now I've been dealing with that here for the last couple of days. Ronan, as a person who uh, frequently only scratches the surface, you, you finally went one step too far. It hurt, you, gentlemen. It's been you hurting. have any idea how you did it? Were you just I around asked, in there with your finger? Poking? I, I don't think it was a dig job. I don't think I'm responsible for it. Uh, although things happen, you know, things happen yeah. in, in the middle of the night. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, what I think is the most likely scenario is um, something just out walking around some dust or a, a rock or a pebble or you something. You never had a moment it. where you just went like, ah, it, I didn't, but I, I, you know, a fragment, had, a fragment of Dinger's fossil flew Dinger, walking around you know, that Colorado air, just all the minerals and rocks and stuff out there. There's something happening, there. but I got scratched on the eye. So I go to the eye doctor and I instantly knew I was in good hands because she told me when I walked in that she's an Indiana Hoosier and I go, oh, this oh, is fantastic. God. And I'm thinking, you know, if she was in a line eye, or a Spartan, or a Sanders, I'd have to leave. But she's a Hoosier, so she took very good care of me. I had two questions for her at the end. Uh, Basically, where I'm at right now is I've got a protective lens on my right eyeball. That's coming off tomorrow. That'll be a big day for me. I got some medicated drops, hopefully in a week or so, back to normal. But I was walking out, you you know, the end of the doctor session where they're like, okay, you have any questions? I had two questions for her. And the only reason I share it with you all is I think it jives with this podcast and the weekend in general. So the first question I had for her was, um, as a fan of the art of horticulture, is there anything I need to be concerned about here, Colorado-wise, over the next couple of days? And she said, you know what? You're fine. Don't get any irritants in your eye. It may help you feel less uncomfortable. I said, lady, not going to be a problem. Number two, 
you know, I'm looking at screens all day. I'm fully remote at work. I've got screens going all the time. I said, is there any concern about, you know, damage from looking at screens all day? And she said, no, just, you know, kind of take it easy if you're, you're feeling uncomfortable there. What I didn't tell her, Jeremy, is I'm knee deep in an out of the park baseball sim mm. right now. I got work to do this weekend. I'm trying to make the Rockies a winner here in Denver, that which is hours. very hard. Yeah. So I need, you know, some hours tonight for horticulture for OTP. and OTP. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's going to take up your time. Real intense looking at yes. the screen. Strain those well, puppies. Well, you know, the Rockies, I inherited a disaster with the Colorado Rockies roster. It was the going into 2020 season team that I took over. And let me tell you, folks, woof, real bad. Yes, they have Nolan, you know, but he was kind of on the outs already at that point. Farm system is a wasteland from Albuquerque to Grand Junction and, and just bad. So I got some work to do. Hopefully the eye will hold up and I can. So you're going to, you're going to just come in there and just trade all the stars out. Just already go did that. piss off all the fans. First thing I did, I traded no trade all the stars. The... There's a Ronin out there in the bleachers yep. at Coors field, pissed. you know, pissed off. He's having his time. And he's just like, this guy comes in and he trades Nolan. He trades Blackman. Yes. Who? John Gray. John Gray was John the other Gray. trade. First three moves. I traded the best third baseman in franchise history, a big time fan favorite in Charlie Blackman. And one of their more intriguing arms in John Gray gone number one farm system things are changing in denver but i just need to make sure i could get through it you, you know walk I mean? a mile in someone else's shoes man that's right that's right but uh it's it's good so i'm on the mend i also wanted to say if there are any fans of the podcast out there and they're concerned i know people are worried about my well-being uh, please send your condolences to at randall j sanders and he'll get those to me and, and we'll make sure that uh i get those good wishes um, yeah, so with I'll, that in I'll mind, collect all of those, Ronan. You can expend an, expect a nice bundle of them in the mail at some point. Numbers are looking good. Podcasts out there in the world, people are listening. We're, we're hearing from some folks, no. and we do appreciate those who do take the time to listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So with that in mind, I was trying to come up with some good trivia for tonight, and I like to theme it, as you guys know. And I decided that the theme for tonight's trivia, Useless Cubs Trivia, is I spy. So we're playing off the I theme a little bit here. And I've got four questions for you. One bonus question, which was submitted from a loyal listener here of the podcast. And uh, as always, gentlemen, if you can kind of think out loud through your answers, it's a wide variety of questions. I'm particularly proud of what I was able to throw together here on the last 20 minutes or so before going live. Um, So first off, and Randall, I'm going to toss it to you first because you're my guy. So number one, who is the most recent Chicago Cubs player? So key, key there is player whose last name starts with the letter I. So the most wow. current Cub wow. player whose last name starts with the letter I. The most recent Cubs player to start with the letter I. That is a difficult question, Ronan. I, I, I see what you did here with the theme. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, Jeremy, I'm gonna, if you got any ideas too, I mean, I, you know, I know I'm this is random. Think. I'm thinking of guys that have the name i but i'm not thinking of cubs right now yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of i'm trying to do what jeremy's doing and think of surnames that begin with the letter i and trying to go from that surnames like isaac maybe or mm-hmm. oh, i got some hints too when we get to that point like uh, maybe we're yeah. at that point <laughs> How about, i got one i got a guess i got a guess i got a guess yeah. cesar is terse yeah. okay very good guess. Randall, anything else you can think of with an eye? Boy, anything else I can think of. Um, he certainly wouldn't be most recent 
Um, but I know they had, um, I know they had at least one Ismail in the fairly right. recent past. He certainly wouldn't be most re- He certainly wouldn't be most recent. But and I, I think you're thinking of Ishmael Valdez. That's you're right. I am. Would be so the V. That does not count. So no. I am. So Jeremy, ready for those hints. So the hint I was going to give you, and this should give it away now, he was traded for a Hall of Famer. And that, of course, would be Cesar Asturias, who right. was traded for, was it Greg Maddox? Yes. That's right. Greg Maddox. That's right. So Asturias played for the Cubs 06 and 07. Um, Maddox was the trade there to the Dodgers, and he is the most recent Cub whose last name, surname, starts with the letter I. So good one there to get us um, eased into this here. Number two, and this is something, Jeremy, that you actually talked about, I think, last week on the podcast. Let's go back in time, gentlemen. September 25th, 1968. It is a sunny afternoon at Wrigley Field. Ron Santo accomplishes one of the great all-time walk-offs in Cubs history. So the Cubs are down one nothing, bottom of the ninth inning. Santo steps into the batter's box with the bases loaded, nobody out. And as the story goes... His vision was messed up as he was walking to the batter's box. Obviously, Ronnie um, had his incredible Hall of Fame career while also battling diabetes. And he's told this story many times. He saw three pitchers on the mound, three balls come his way. He swung at the one in the middle. He knocks a walk-off grand slam to win the game for the Cubs, September 25th, 1968. Who was the opponent of that historic home run? And if you can name the pitcher... Drinks are on me for you tonight because that would be incredible. But just more importantly, who was the opponent, the opposing team for that historic home run? I don't know. So I'm just going to throw out <laughs> some guesses. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, just because Ronnie hated them, I'm going to say it was the Mets. And I'm going to okay. say Tom Seaver. <laughs> Pitching all Good nine. Stuff. Randall, any guesses? The Mets would have been been my guess, too, with the Santo connection. Uh, With Jeremy having already guessed them, I'm going to guess the Expos, the Montreal Expos. The Los Angeles Dodgers. uh, The Bill Singer was the pitcher there, had a long career, 14 years in the big leagues, twice an all-star, once with the Dodgers, once with the California Angels. Um, I knew that was a bit of a long shot for both of you guys, but two things kind of stood out to me from that game. Take a ballpark guess at what the attendance was at Wrigley Field on September 25th, 1968. I'll say 6,000. Randall. I will go 9,500. 2,657 loyal fans to see one of the great moments. I thought moments. six might be high. I, was like, <laughs> I know. I was Just amazing, though, yeah. how far uh, the game has come in terms of fandom and all that since then. I hope we never see a day where there's only 2000 people back at Wrigley field, even this upcoming season, you know, they're going to be at least what 25% capacity. We're hoping maybe oh, early on uh, in the year. Cubs and white Sox have most recently presented 30% capacity okay. to the city. I believe. Well, yeah, let's but, hope we never yeah. see 2,600 fans only at Wrigley field. That home run, by the way, the fifth career walk-off home run at that time for Ron Santo. Um, These next two are going to hit you a little bit closer. They're more current. And then we'll wrap up with a bonus question. There are two Cubs who hold the record for most runs batted in, the I there being the RBI, in one game. Who are they? I'm going to guess that uh, Derek Lee is one of those Cubs. Okay. Any idea how many RBI the record is for the Cubs in a single game? Ooh. Uh, well, wait, hold on. I'm going to change my guess. I'm going to go with Aramis Ramirez because I can remember some fairly recent games 
where he'd go off two home runs, uh, two home runs, a double, 10 RBI in a game. I'm going to guess Aramis Ramirez, 10 RBI in a game. Okay. Jeremy. That's a lot of RBIs. That's a lot um, of RBIs. I'm going to guess. So we're asking the two most re- – or the two guys that hold the record for most RBIs in the game? Yes. All right. So I'm going to throw out one – I think I'm going to guess Sosa. Okay. One. Now, I don't know. I Number like seven, I would think. I don't know. Okay. And then I'm going to throw out a random guess that just, just for the hell of it. I'm going to say Starlin Castro for like up there as well. Great guess. I'm surprised though. I really am because one of them happened in 2019. David Bodie, seven oh. runs batted in versus the Colorado Rockies, a 9-8 victory for the Cubs. I got uh, he the went number four right. for four in that game. Yeah, you did get the number right. And this one, I'm really shocked. Ryan Sandberg, the Rhino game. Oh, the Rhino seven game. Seven driven yeah, in seven driven against in. the Cardinals in 1984. I remember Castro, I just thought he had that monster debut, and I think he had six RBIs. And I was just hoping maybe it was the record and maybe it was one more. Yeah. But that was what I was thinking. And Sammy obviously hit three homers a bunch. So I was just throwing that out. So the last I question here, um, this pertains to the I Cubs, the Iowa Cubs, a record here. I'll give you a hint too, before we start, it's a recent name. You both know it. Um, You got to dig back the last 20 years or so of Cubs history for this. Who holds the Iowa Cubs single season record for earned run average? So it's a starting pitcher, minimum of 112 innings pitched. Which Iowa Cub pitcher has the single season record for lowest ERA? Ooh. See, my first guess would be Mark Pryor, but I don't know that he had enough time at Iowa to qualify because he was in the majors very quickly after. Very being quickly, drafted. yeah. Mm-hmm. For all time. Let me give you an, uh, a year window because yeah. I know there's so many names that's probably percolating there in your head, Randall. Um, I'll just give you a, a four or five year range here. It fell between 2004 and 2008. So someone on the Iowa Cubs in that sort of mid 2000s window. Jeremy, right. I, I see the wheels turning a bit. I'm just going to make a guess. Uh, Rich Hill. Okay. Randall, any guesses from you? Uh, any guesses from me? Uh I'm, I'm trying to think of pitchers that would have come up with the Cubs in that time. Um, I'm going to guess maybe Randy Wells. Okay. Wells on Wells on Wells. So we got a winner in here. Jeremy Dick Mountain himself, Rich Hill, with a 1.80 earned run average back in 2006, an all-time Iowa Cubs record. So we close out the I theme there with an I Cubs all-time great. Guy who's still kicking it, man. Rich Hill making it work all these years later. Yeah, those curve. I came up early. I remember when he came up early. I, I saw one of the starts, and it did not go. He had like a nine ERA when he first came up. Yeah, but he ended up, you know, oh, yeah, having some nice career. years with the Cubs, and he's still making it work. Yeah. He's battled I mean, back from multiple he was, injuries. He was out of baseball, and he came back. I remember he's, when they they sent him down to like rookie ball because he couldn't find the plate. He's battled back from injuries. He's battled back from independent ball. He was a, I believe, a Long Island Duck. And he, he found his way back to MLB. He's still kicking down there with the Rays. Uh, long, long career for Mr. Rich Hill. A fan favorite here on Behind the Yellow Line of Baseball Michigan, podcast. Man. University yeah. of Michigan. 
So bonus question here. This is all for fun. This was submitted by John O'Shea, my pops, big fan of the podcast. He's been circling the podcast with some Randy Jackson. That's the answer. (laughs) He's been, he's been circling the podcast there with the uh, fans from the forties and fifties, which is great. We're bringing in a wide variety of fans here on the podcast. Coveted, Coveted demographic. Jeremy, this one's targeted a little bit at you, too, because you are the season ticket holder in the group. You've got that partial plan out in the bleachers. Um, so the question from Pops here, in 1952, what was the cost of a bleacher ticket at Wrigley Field? Back to the 52 Cubs. That must have been his team. That was good, uh, good squad, man. Yeah. I'm going to guess – I have no idea, to be honest. So I'll guess, like, 25 cents. I, okay. I don't even know if that even seems reasonable. I so I don't know where where we are with inflation there. Randall, what do you got? I'm gonna guess uh, somewhere around. I'm gonna guess fifty cents. Okay, fifty cents is the cost of a bleacher ticket. So Randall wins this round. Sixty cents a ticket in the bleachers back in 1952. Um, Twenty cents, I'm told, back in the day to take a streetcar from uh, 5109 South Halstead all the way up to Wrigley Field wow. back in 1952. And with that in mind, a shout out to Pete, big time Cubs fan. His favorite season back in those days was 1948. He shared that with me here, mm-hmm. listening to the podcast, and uh, we appreciate. The support, you know, from some older Cubs fans. So that's a good ride good stuff from the south side. Yeah, and you know, kudos to them, Pete and my pops. South side down there, past old Comiskey Park, and yet they were Cubs fans. And big mm-hmm. reason why I'm a Cubs fan this day. Um, otherwise, me and Ray would be hosting. Uh, I don't oh know, gosh. up in the blue seats or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, high, with that, high mind, up in the blue seats. High, high, up high up in the, in the uh, blue seats. There, Ray and I talking White Sox baseball. But hey, the, the clock is ticking, Ray. We want you on here. You're down inside four weeks now. Uh, the fans want to hear you. But that's it for trivia. The I theme. Nice stuff, guys. Randall, I hear you've been uh, scratching and clawing at old box scores over the last couple of days. What do you got for us today? All right, I have picked out one of the famed box scores. Uh, I had to dig through this through the records a little bit to find another game that I, uh, I knew we were all at. And this one, uh, I found it kind of interesting means uh, because I remember very clearly a Pat Hughes call from this game. And I had to kind of pick out the player I knew I could hear in that call. And I had to go through his game log and backtrack a, a couple different ways. But I did find the box score I was looking for. And without any further ado, I'm going to open with the starting pitcher for the opposition in this game. Hmm. And that is none other than one Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer started this game against the Chicago Cubs. Elsewhere in this game, elsewhere in this game, we had a Cubs fan favorite playing against the Cubs in this game. Ronan, one of your guys, Augie Ojeda. Ooh. He led off and played second base for the opposition in this particular Cubs game. Wow. Right. On the Cubs side, uh, let's see. We have some interesting names here. Ronnie Cedeno got a pinch hit at bat. He did not reach base. I'm uh, shocked. In that, in that at bat. I, I know. I know. Just, just shocking to hear that. Some of the uh, more interesting occurrences to have happened in this game. Uh, let's look at the game summary here. Justin Upton drew a bases loaded walk in this game off of, I'm not going to say the Cubs pitcher yet, because I think that will narrow it down too much. Chad Qualls pitched against the Cubs in this game in relief. He is actually credited with uh, a blown save and a loss in this game. 
Do we have any guesses as to the opponent potentially? Well, it's obviously history. against the Diamondbacks. All right, we do have the Diamondbacks. Do we have any guesses as to the year? The year is interesting. So my head goes to like 06. I think it's a little later than that. A little later than that, yeah. Between the two of you, between the two I of you. I think it's like 07 or 08. Jeremy, Jeremy is in the neighborhood, as he so often is. Jeremy's always in your neighborhood, ladies and gentlemen. The yeah. one thing is, because I know Upton and I know Scherzer. Upton was the number one pick in 2005. So, like, he that would be really quick for him to get up in 2006. And I know Cedeno yeah. came up. I'm trying to think of when Scherzer would have been up because he pitched in Missouri. Um, so I, that's why I was thinking like it would be more 07 or 08. But I'm trying to remember, like, I'm trying to picture this game because I only have a vague memory of seeing the Diamondbacks like that. Um, oh no, I kind of do. I don't know. Was it? I guess I'll just I'll just guess 2007. Jeremy, you are close. This is a 2008 game. I'll drop a couple more, uh, a couple more nuggets here before giving the rundown. Uh, on the topic of pinch hit at bats, I actually do uh, remember this game now. Daryl Ward, uh, pinch hitter extraordinaire, had a productive pinch hit at bat in this game, driving in a run. Was this we, game in May? As a matter of fact, we were. Roman, it was. It was. We were definitely May. standing in the behind the yellow line. Yeah, behind the yellow line. <laughs> we were, we're definitely standing behind the yellow line. Definitely. Yes. The, the theme of our show. We've just about narrowed it down, and so we flash back to May tenth, two thousand eight against the visiting Arizona Diamondbacks in this game. And I think the Diamondbacks were, like, really good at this point. They're just coming off the 2007. They swept the Cubs, obviously. The they had, like, a really hot start to 2008, and then they, like, fell off. But at the time of this game, they were, like – 23 and 14. They were, like, really good at the time of this game, I remember At the thinking. time of this game, 23 and 14. Mm. So we flash back to May 10th, 2008, a game we all attended together at Wrigley Field. We were, in fact, standing behind the yellow line. Uh, a younger Max Scherzer pitched in this game against the Chicago Cubs. He had uh, a decent day on the mound. He allowed only an unearned run on five hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. Ryan Dempster, uh, television host extraordinaire, started for the Cubs. He did not have as great of a game, but he still pitched a decent game. Two runs on three hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts. This was a game where the Cubs were up one nothing for a while. Ryan Terrio, of all people, driving in a run off of Max Scherzer until Ryan Dempster gave up two runs in the top of the sixth, putting the Cubs down two to one until the Cubs came roaring back in the bottom of the seventh. And this is the part of the game that I remembered the call from where uh, Daryl Ward came off the bench with a pinch hit single to score Mark DeRosa. And it is the Pat Hughes call where he called a uh, line drive to left down the line, long run Salazar referring to Diamondbacks left fielder, Jeff Salazar. And it's that particular cadence that I was able to remember uh, to tie the game. And then the Cubs would go on to score another five runs in the bottom of the seventh inning and route to a seven to two ball, a seven to two win Soriano with an RBI double to drive in the pinch runner, Jason Marquis, Jason Marquis, very versatile oh player. Uh, Ryan Terrio with yet another RBI single. Uh, Aramis Ramirez doing what he does, driving in runs to drive in Ryan Terrio. And then a favorite of the podcast, Kosuke Fukudome. Oh, man. Capped off man. that inning. Capped off that inning with a two-run homer to make it a 7-2 to two ball game. And the game would end by that score, 7-2. to two. And so that is yet another edition of the Box Score Challenge. May 10th, 2008, a 7-2 to two win over the visiting Arizona Diamondbacks at Wrigley Field. 
That's that's pretty good. That uh, I I did not register or remember that we got that Scherzer start pretty early on in his career. Yeah, and and I gotta say, so two of the all-time great number ones in Cubs history were at that game: Augie Ojeda and Kosuke Fukudome. Yeah, um, that would have been my first legal beer at Wrigley Field. Would in have fact, happened would have, during that ball in fact, game. It would have been. Uh, the yeah, 2020, year twenty one. Well, you didn't for... you didn't get in between uh, April twenty third and May tenth. So there was no uh, games. In April twenty third. Oh my 27th. god! You don't even know. Oh my god! Birthday. That oh my that came out wrong. Twenty seventh. Oh my god! Terrible. 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 <laughs> that came out. <laughs> Just what? you could take a point away guys. from me. Oh, I'll take all the points away from twenty seventh. I corrected myself. Nobody gave it to me. Twenty seventh. Was this the same day too of a little post game battle between the two of you regarding a window in the vehicle that was too low for the time of the year was this the game what was the weather what was, and there was no real battle because i never said anything <laughs> until after it ended pulling what, up the weather pulling up the weather what was, it was the weather cold. because I'm, I'm bringing up the box score there right was now. a game where the window was down and it was not a warm night the, randall was driving well, this, this yeah. was a day game so it, it's unlikely we would have been driving around at night however the game time temperature according to the box score 47 degrees yes that might so. have been that might have been so let me set, paint the picture. I'll Bob Ross this for the fans out there. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're leaving the, it would have been, Hell, we probably Howard took or... Howard. It must've or... been Howard, but we were coming back through. I remember the specific moment of the worst part of the incident is we were sort of pulling back into the Northern suburbs and Randall's driving windows all the way down. Keep in mind. Was I was 47. behind Randall. You were in the front seat. So I was behind yeah, him. I'm sitting shotgun. Jeremy's in the back seat. So it's 47 degrees at first pitch. So the game's over. Spend a little yeah, bit of time in Wrigleyville after the game. Five. Exactly right. By the time we get back to the car, it's probably 5.30, 6 o'clock. So it is evening time. Maybe it's 41 degrees. Windows down. Jeremy's freezing. Randall's like, baseball season is here. It's springtime. The window goes down. Yeah, I remember there was look, a comment look, like, it's, points, it's I, I, I drive with the window made. down during spring. I mean, and I'm like, it's 40 degrees though. <laughs> just because it's spring. It's baseball season and the window goes down. I don't know what you're you like, want me to tell you're you. Like, during the spring, I drive with the window down. I, I didn't, but the, there were no comments until I, unless you said something. Cause I, I was like in the back, I was just like, oh my God, it's free. Well, I would have been drinking for a couple of hours at that point so i definitely was saying something at that point yeah. in time but good stuff randall thanks for digging up an, an old box score there and uh, bringing back some memories always good when you can weave kosuke fukudome augie ojeda and your first legal beer into a podcast so good stuff randall all right let's uh get to some modern times though place that isn't cold right now phoenix area spring training is going the cubs have been playing baseball games since monday and we just want to pull some things we liked over the last week some things that maybe haven't gone so great for the cubs here obviously keep in mind it's week one of spring training pitchers certainly have the advantage at this point in time um, but at the same time nobody's right everybody's working through things this is not the time of the year to stress about wins or losses or stats or anything you're just kind of looking for some good signs from guys and obviously you want everybody to be healthy well one good sign from this week Nico Horner a guy who's vying for that second base job had a hell of a week here seven hits in eight tries three extra base hits he's logged 12 total bases he's got a steal he hasn't struck out yet Randall pretty encouraging here to see a hot start from Nico in the spring absolutely he's playing like an individual who has no desire to start the season in the minors uh, I know he's worked on his stance a whole lot over the course of the offseason he's opened up a little bit and it seems to be helping him he's able to go to all fields 
uh, this spring. And something that might be working in his favor, even without hitting in the 800s in the early going, is that we got word this week, uh, courtesy of Jeff Passan of ESPN, that the AAA season is going to start uh, later than intended and that teams will be running alternate training sites, at least for that first month, as they did throughout the entirety of last year's shortened season. And where the Cubs might have been inclined previously to start Nico at Iowa for the first month or two months to work on very specific things, they uh, might not be inclined to send him to the alternate training site uh, again to scrimmage daily, uh, just to soon have him up on the big league club. So that might work in Nico's favor as far as making the opening day roster. But he's looked great this uh, this week in games, um, and. There, you know, there's not a whole lot else to say about this week. It, it is just the first week of spring training. Uh, you'd like to see him maybe start walking a little bit more, but it is spring training. Nobody's nobody's working on walking. Uh, guys are, you know, working on putting the bat on the ball, and it's been very impressive. We know he's been a quality defensive player. If a new stance is working for him, and he feels like the offense is there, uh, there's no need to mess around with Ildemaro Vargas or David Bodie as your starting second baseman, or any other names they might have brought on this week. Hint, hint. Put Nico there, put him in the eight or nine spot, tell him hit, tell him play defense, and hopefully go out and win a division. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Nico fan. Uh, you know, he, I'm a big fan because he gives you something that this team doesn't really have in the fact that he makes contact where most other guys are whiffing, or at least higher whiff rates than Nico does. He makes a lot more contact. Um, and he puts, he usually seemingly makes good contact. I, I know his exit velocities weren't huge, but he, a lot of it's because he hitting the ball into the ground too much. And so what, changing a swing a little bit, getting a little bit more lift is obviously a big thing, but he goes the other way. He did that today in a big spot to drive in a run. He had a pitch on the outside corner and he took any, it might've even been with two strikes. I'm not sure. And he, he knocked it the other way on a solid line drive base hit to right field. So, and, and obviously he hit the homer today, which was huge. Um, so it's nice to see him, you know, basically using all fields is something he does. He, they're probably their best. I mean, Vargas is decent, but he's probably their best defensive option at second base. So, you know, Randall talked about going to the alternate site. Um, I did read the possibility that, that some of the teams in the alternate sites might play each other. So not just scrimmaging, you might get like, like the Cubs might go or play Schaumburg, which is the White Sox, or I think um, Detroit's in Toledo. So that wouldn't be too far from South Bend. Probably a couple of, I, I, I had heard about that possibility, but um, you know, I, I've been a fan of Nico and I, I felt like he should have a chance to win a spot and be on the team. I, I wouldn't want him on the team if he's not playing though. That would right. be one of my concerns. I don't want him just sitting and riding the bench. But, you know, I, I like Nico. I like Bodie too, but I, I, I like Nico because he just gives you so much that no, there's no overlap really with other guys on the team. Yeah there's, yeah, there's nothing to be gained if Nico isn't starting and getting starters work at second base. And uh, as you said, he, he's a dimension to the offense that they don't really have otherwise as that speedy contact guy. And in an idealized world, it's not hard to see him if he really realizes his potential, maybe moving up to that number two spot in the lineup someday, hitting behind half. And that allows you to push Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, Baez, everybody else down a spot and hopefully get more at bats with runners on base. Uh, you know, he's a long way away from that, I think, but it's not hard to see his skill set playing very well there as a speedy contact hitter on base ahead of the, the bigger bats. 
I think what's compelling here too about Ian Happ is he's one of the few position players who is sort of fighting for his job almost here in spring Nico. training. Like, I'm sorry, who, who did I say? Ian Happ. Oh, Ian Happ. Good. See, Randall, you got in my head with Happ. Um, Nico can win that second base job. Like you, you look around the rest of the infield, the positions are pretty much set. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of bullpen arms that are maybe vying for that. Those last couple of slots in the bullpen, but Nico can win the second base job with a very good and strong showing here. So I think that makes it a little bit more interesting. And look, we got a long way to go in spring training. Oh, yeah. Nico's had an interesting career. He came up probably premature sort of out of desperation at the end of that 2019 season last year with Kipnis and some of the other bodies they were trying. He didn't get, a ton of playing time at second base, but now he can win the job here in 2021. He's almost equally likely to end up in triple a to open the year. So this is one of those compelling stories to follow over the next three or four weeks. And like you guys, I'm pulling for him. I'd love to see him earn the job here this spring and take it. Yeah. As you said, uh, he, he's way ahead of schedule uh, in terms of, I mean, first of all, if you remember correctly, he got hurt early on. uh, So he didn't have like much of a minor league season that year. He did come up when he was called to come up and that was due to injuries as well for the Cubs. And then last year, he's probably more than likely not making the, I mean, we had this discussion last year in spring training and then COVID hit and that kind of forced Nico to make the team because there's nowhere else to put him. Yeah. You're, you want you're him to get him. Nico's not going to learn anything spending right. last summer. So, yeah. I mean, you look at him, he's only had something like 375 minor league plate appearances, which is insane because you thought about Kyle Schwarber. He came up real fast, right? Everybody's like, Kyle Schwarber was up. He's had, he had like double the amount of Nico. He had like 670. Bryant's had like seven, 700. These are all these guys had way more. These are guys that moved fast and they yeah. had double the amount of minor league player players that Nico's had. So now, I mean, obviously Nico got some time last year in the majors. So that's going to take away obviously from having minor league play appearances, but he's a guy that's never really had that development real stage he's been thrust into a major league team, a major league team that's trying to win. So he's really never had that. So, but I like it. I like what they're doing with him. And he seems like he's a smart guy. He was taking classes at Stanford during, you know, the pause. Um, he just went back to school and doing other things. So I, I'm a big Nico fan. So I'm hoping he does take control of the second base situation. With that in mind, Jeremy, do you think there's one thing in particular that he needs to show this spring, maybe more than anything else that would win over that job for him? Because obviously spring training stats are, they are what yeah. they are. You know, it's not, it's not like if he hits the most home runs at, well, it's not like he can just do, you know what I'm saying here? I really think that I don't, I, this is, I feel like he needs to show some development uh, with his swing in terms of, we talked, Randall talked about his swing change. And I feel like he can't just be, I mean, he's fast, but he can't just be driving balls into the ground really. So I kind of think he needs to like show some development in the swing and, and just the, his, uh, the way he's swing. I, I don't think like really it's going to be like a statistical thing where like, oh, Nico's batting 400, you know, I mean, though he's probably will perform more if he develops more at this swing in terms of not just hitting everything into the ground, which is really why he made so many outs last year. Um, and not, so I just, you know, uh, just more of an approach and development in there that I think, I, I think they do want him around because they have this pitching staff that is going to get all ground balls. So I think they do want defense at second base. So I, I think that's going to be a huge uh, factor. There's one thing I'd like to see him working on. It's maybe being a little more selective at the plate and that's not entirely his skill set. He is a contact hitter. He's a guy who likes to swing the bat. Um, but last year we saw him going out of the zone a fair bit 
And again, he's a, he's a young player. Jeremy, you were spot on as you so often are 375 minor league plate appearances exactly uh, in his minor league career. Um, and in, in those 375 plate appearances, he has a non-base percentage of 365 compared to a batting average of 297. And you like to see that separation. You don't want your on-base ability to be entirely batting average dependent. You want to be able to take your walks every now and again. And if, if he makes a team, the Cubs are probably apt to bat him pretty low in the lineup and hope that he can get on base. So uh, the pitcher can bunt him over because we get to watch that again this year. Um, so you'd like to see him show the ability to get on base uh, via the walk a little bit more. And again, that's not necessarily his, his uh, huge facet of his skill set, but it's something you'd like to see him do uh, just to know that he can do it if you do envision him as a, a guy who will hit higher up in the lineup eventually. So that's something I'd like to see from him a little bit this spring. Something, too, that's just sort of passing the eye test here. We get stories every spring training. Everybody's in the best shape of their lives, right, except for the three of us. That the SOHL. Spring training. The SOHL. Right? But, you know, Nico has put on some muscle here in the offseason. Yeah. He looks bigger. Like, he, he looks like more of an athlete, to be honest with you, than we've Tommy seen Hattie in the past. Tommy he said he was yoked. Yoked? Yeah, that was on today on the broadcast. He said he's absolutely yoked. It's just something to watch here, I think, over the next few weeks. And we'll continue to kind of keep tabs on Nico. I think we're all pulling for him. We want to see him earn this job. Uh, and he's off to a great start. Seven hits and eight tries, a couple extra base hits, no strikeouts here in week one. And he's been a regular in the lineup as well. So really good stuff there from Nico. Um, something else from the last week that has been kind of fun to see. This was today. Brendan Davis getting the start in center field alongside a whole bunch of guys who won a World Series. Javi. Chris, Rizzo, Wilson. Um, yeah, Davis went 0 for 3, but it's just one of the things you get to look forward to here in spring training. So Hap was playing that road game last night. Much deserved day off today. I'm sure he spent the day on a golf course. But that gives your top prospect an opportunity to get in the lineup with some big leaguers. And just to see his name penciled in the lineup was pretty cool. That has to yeah. be a thrill for him, being in a lineup, being in a clubhouse, and taking batting practice with uh, some of those players. And that's, that's a part of spring training you can't really – put a number on is the experience for these guys who might still be two or three years away from the majors is spending time in camp with veterans who have been there and done it. Uh, so I'm sure that was a thrill for him and I'm sure he's uh, enjoying his evening tonight. Yeah. Especially today, as you said, um, basically the starting lineup uh, probably for, you know, opening day uh, and, and Brent Davis. So um, I mean, Hapo obviously being there. But uh, so that's cool. And, you know, he had a ball he hit pretty well uh, against the Padres in game one where he hit it to about the track. He, he struggled a little bit so far, get it, but he's gotten a lot of at bats early on. It's only been five days, um, but uh, it's always nice to see and fun to see spring training players. Uh, not We're not getting as much this year with the shortened innings, the rollover innings, but to see spring train, uh, see, you know, your top prospects come up in spring training and see what they have to offer. Yeah, those, those late innings are normally when you'd see your, your top prospects who came over from minor league camp for a day. Right now, there is no minor league camp. Uh, in order to keep camp as distant as possible, for those of our listeners not aware, normally minor league camp in spring training would be going on concurrently with major league camp. And in order to reduce the number of players who are around the complex at any given time, minor league camp will not begin until major league camp has concluded and the players have left the team facilities in Arizona and Florida. So there is no minor league camp right now to pull your top prospect from for a day to get a look at him. And that probably accounts for why Brennan Davis, Chase Strumpf, 
and uh, a couple of other uh, more touted prospects are in camp as uh, non-roster invitees that the Cubs can get those looks that they would normally get but can't this year. You know, and to that point too, Randall, a lot of hitters say about 50 plate appearances or so is the magic number in spring training. Once they get to that point, they're ready to just get out of Arizona and go back up to the cold at Wrigley and, and start playing games for real. So kind of keep that number in mind as you're watching batters work through the first couple of weeks. As some pitching notes here, Kyle Hendricks looking good early in the week. Not really worried about him at all this year. He's been rock solid since day one. Trevor Williams, the new pitcher, four strikeouts over a couple of scoreless innings. And uh, that's just good to see. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to play out here in terms of these pitchers. But when you get your first look at a guy and he's striking out a handful of batters, Got it's encouraging. Twice. He struck out Moogie yep. Betts two times. Yeah. So he's the Cy Young, right? I think he yeah, wins it right there. Exactly. <laughs> it validates that 60 game World Series title last year. Mm -hmm. uh, for Trevor Williams, I know Tommy Hadovy spoke this week about the work they're doing with his slider, uh, where they're actually trying to shape the pitch so that he has two different sliders with two different motions to them. And, you know, we talk, we've talked almost every week about the uh, investment the Cubs have made in their pitching infrastructure. And this is how it manifests where you have the data and you have the ability to bring a guy in with the coaches and basically create a new pitch for him uh, that moves differently or that he would use in a different situation. So uh, again, it is of course only the one start it is spring training, but it's good to see that work being done and to see the results on the field uh, in his first spring start. Speaking of good vibes and things around spring training, fans back in the ballpark, uh, not full houses, anything like that. But Jeremy, it's so nice just to see people back at the ballpark, hearing fans cheering and heckling and booing. It's like we're getting back to normal here. It's been fun to see. It's interesting because, you know, with the small amount of fans that are allowed, you could pretty much hear everything. Like there's there, no there was somebody at the tail end of today's broadcast who uh, I think was really enjoying being back in the ballpark. And, uh, <laughs> it's they, like a late inning, extra inning game where it's like, you know, 13 yeah. innings where you can really hear everybody. Cause there's nobody yeah, you can to hear cover the each other up. The so wooing can... at certain ballparks. So, but, and, uh, and I, I do like, I like on the berm, they have the little circles or squares, depending on where the stadium you're at to keep people in, the, in certain in their, in their own little, their own little of pods. course, when a home runs hit, then everybody just goes and goes to the yeah, ball. Those, those last about five minutes, it seems, but uh, <laughs> you know, here, here fans shouting, shouting things of varying degrees of wit at the ballpark. It, nat nature is healing. And it's good I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss, I'm, I'm going to be honest. There are aspects of what we've gone through and now that I'm going to miss because you can hear a lot of things more from the playing field that I, I will miss that we're not going to get to hear because players shouting, players saying things or fans or people in the crowd saying things that once we get back to a full crowd, it's all going to be muffled and everything. And I'll miss a little bit of that. Last year to, uh, to account to, to make up for a lot of that, the broadcast had their players mic'd up a lot more. They had ISO cams on the dugouts and the players. And I hope if you can take anything away from, what we had to go through in the last year and last season, I hope they realize how enjoyable that is. If you get the right player at the right time, or you keep those, those dugout mics hot um, when you can, uh, the, because that's entertaining to hear some of the things that the ball players that the ball players will shout from the dugout. Uh, and especially on the Cubs where they take pride in that, in being uh, a very active and very loud dugout. So I hope if they can take anything away, it's that we are entertained by player antics on the field. 
That's been something, too, that's been fun here in spring training. Um, I'm not going to say a lot of positive things about ESPN broadcasts. In fact, we're going to talk about that here in a minute on the bad side of spring training. But it was really cool. The other day, uh, the broadcast crew was interviewing Jason Hayward. He was on a golf cart outside the ballpark as a dust storm was rolling into Mesa. And he was basically telling the broadcasters, we got like a minute here before things are going to get crazy. So that type of you know, approach with players, I think is fun. And, you know, baseball players, we've been saying this on the show, there are some great personalities in baseball and there are some incredible elite athletes. We need to get them out there in the world a little bit, you know, and things like that. You can't do that in the regular season. I don't want players being interviewed mid game in the middle of the regular season, Um, but during spring training, have some fun with it. These games don't mean anything. We're just happy to see baseball again. If you can get a camera on a guy like Jay, Hey, I want to see it because he's a fun guy to cheer for. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I was going to so, say, we're going to talk about it later. So, well, let's get into it. Here's some okay. of the bad things from the last week here. And again, this is all a bit with a grain of salt or everything. Um, nothing to freak out about yet, except if there were any serious injuries. But if you were watching the ball game today, holy yikes to the debut of Craig Kimbrell. So let me set the stage a little bit here. He came out for the third inning today. First batter, a real nice plate appearance. He struck out Bradley Zimmer. And at that point in time, I got the group text with Randall and Jeremy. I fire off, hey, Kimbrell looks pretty good. Really nice plate appearance there. At that point, turn the game off. The O'Shea Jinx was in full effect today in Mesa. From that point on, uh, Kimbrell shelled four runs on four hits. He hit a batter. He sat 94 to 96. He did hit 97. That was something that we were able to see post game. But not a very impressive debut here, Jeremy, from the closer today. No, uh, and Kimbrell, obviously, we know his struggles. And he's always kind of gotten off to a very slow start, even when been successful so but uh he didn't get too much today was an interesting day because the cups pitchers for the last five days or so have been pitching pretty well and i was going to mention that earlier that you know everybody's been out there pitching pretty well but today they didn't really get much help from their defense uh kimbrell there was a pop-up a fallout that rizzo probably should have had or Contreras that would have made it two outs with nobody i mean the ball he gave up that was a homer that ball was crushed and he had a couple of other balls that were hard hit so it's hard to really say that Kimbrell wasn't, you know, but th- there were some, that first batter was real nice. And there was some other movement, you know, it's day one of spring training. You can't take too much away from Nico batting 875, just like you can't take too much away from Craig Kimbrell right. giving up four runs. You know, he probably was, wasn't really out there trying to, it's always interesting. You know, he probably came out there, like I'm just going to get some work in. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he's 20 pitches in and there's four runs on the board and he's really trying to get an out, you know? So like he probably was not really that focused at the, the start to really be grinding. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's tough. It's, it's, it's not the start you want to see, obviously. But the Cubs pitchers for the first five days, they, they've looked pretty sharp for the most part. Yeah. Um, we, you know, going back and bringing it back around, it doesn't really matter that Nico is hitting in the 800s, but the process matters. It doesn't matter what he's hitting, but it matters how he's hitting, change in stance. It doesn't matter that Trevor Williams struck out four, but it does matter the work he's putting in to maybe find a new pitch and get back to being a, a decent pitcher. With a guy like Kimbrell, it, it matters less that he is getting hit around. It, you know, it matters more about how he feels because he's had uh, some issues physically and some issues tipping his pitches the last few years. Um, Velocity-wise, you know, it's his first, uh, first game outing of the spring, and he's sitting 94-95, and he's been a guy who ramps up over the course of spring in his career. So, you know, that's not a bad starting point for him. And you hope he'll, he'll tick up a few times 
over the next three or four weeks, and he will. Um, so it, it's not so much about him getting shelled today, which he did, of course. Uh, it's just about how he feels, how he feels the ball's coming out of his hand, how he feels physically. So if he says tomorrow he feels good uh, a day after throwing and he's fine with how he's throwing, then, you know, you take that and you say fine. So it's not so much about the results. It's about the process. As long as the guys are going through the process um, and they feel good doing it, that's really all I look at in the spring. Also, totally. that hit batter, that hit batter today. I don't know if you were watching uh, Ronan. At the moment, like he was in the middle of it. And this is one of the things going back to the fans on the field or whatever, or in the stands, in the middle of like his his throwing motion where he was just about to, you know, throw that pitch, which ended up being a breaking ball. <laughs> the runner took off and I heard it. And it was like somebody shouted as loud as they could. And it was pretty kind of, it was just like runner, and like right in the middle as he's throwing. And I, I think it kind of threw him off because like he did not come come over the top of that breaking ball. And it just like went straight into the batter. And <laughs> I, I really think somebody got to him in the middle because it kind of like it kind of it just seemed like it was like right that moment that like his. And so it just went and hit him. So I, I obviously things like that are going to happen during a game. But like I think it really because there was no real crowd. So you could really hear that. And it was a loud noise. I don't know if you saw that. But I, I kind of think it threw him off. That, that's a good point. I've been mostly watching these games with the sound off. They've been kind of driving with the midwork day. Um, but I'll have to look back on that. And yeah, kind of speaking I, of. Look at it. You'll see somebody yelled right when he threw it. it. Yeah. Speaking of hit batters and things too, uh, Javi, scary moment today, midway through the game, took a pitch off the forearm. The good news is the reports we're getting is it looks like it's just a contusion, nothing too serious. But for a moment there, Jeremy, I kind of was freaking out a little bit. Initially, I thought the ball hit his wrist and that's a scary time. Any, any time a pitch is getting up on the wrist, the fingers, that's where you're talking about breaking bones. But it looks like it got a little bit more of the meat of the forearm and maybe he's out for a day or two. It's certainly not going to mess up his season still you got to hold your breath a little bit anytime a batter certainly of Javi's caliber and what he brings to the team this year is taking a pitch up and around the hands well it was weird though round you can go extreme caution is uh the word the cubs used for why they pulled him today so it it certainly seems like he's okay um a lot a lot of little tiny bones in the wrist and in the finger and if you break any one of those it can derail a week a month a season uh, so again, hopefully, it, hopefully he recovers from the bruise. It'll probably be pretty tender tomorrow. As you said, Ronan, they probably keep him out of the lineup tomorrow, maybe even Saturday, Sunday this early in the spring, but very fortunate that it just got the, the soft part of the forearm. Well, I, I imagine he probably wasn't even going to be playing tomorrow anyways. It's, I mean, Nico played two days in a row, but most of these guys aren't playing two days in a row at this point. But uh, as, as you were going on about how you were afraid and everything like that, it was weird because the Cubs had the bases loaded. They were down by one run at that point after Javi got hit. Uh, and I think there's no outs or one out. I don't remember. So, but the Mariners rolled the inning. So Javi went straight to the dugout. So he didn't go to first base. So I think that kind of threw everything off. Like he got hit and then he went to the dugout, like holding his arm. And then it's everybody's like, okay, what's going on here? Cause like, he's not going to first. And I think that kind of threw, threw some things off made it look And then uh, Andy Weber came in to replace him. So then that was kind of, you know, but then they showed him in the dugout and he seemed fine. Didn't really seem like he was having issues. In, but, in the dugout uh, looked like they showed him pretty clearly pointing to his forearm. Yeah, he was pointing to his forearm, but he, his he was like joking. Yeah. Well, on the replay, it clearly hit him in the forearm. Once you, when you see the replay, like at first, obviously 
it's 95 miles an hour. You can't really tell. You know, it, it occurs to me, this game's been around a very long time, and we have just this year added kind of a new word to the lexicon, rolling the inning, uh, you know, choo- choosing to end it before three outs are recorded. Um, you know, it is, it is spring, and they, they would obviously never adopt that for the regular season. But that's, that's, a, that's a new word in the baseball dictionary. A, a century and a half later, we, we've added roll the inning to the, the baseball lexicon. You got to roll it. Roll the barrel. You got to roll uh, the inning. Roll the barrel. Uh, well, they did do it last. I don't know if they had the word. I don't remember the word being as popular. But we, we, they did do it during those summer camp games because I remember Darvish got uh, trucked a bit against the White Sox. I remember some White Sox uh, fans crowing a little bit when the Cubs, you know, just pulled the inning. They're like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. The Cubs yeah. are, you know, Darvish didn't want to well, keep you, pitching you, or whatever. You, you play you play your Super Bowl when it's in front of you, I guess. <laughs> Oh but, man, uh, shots well, fired. Shots fired. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but it, oh, it's it makes... a, just, look, the segue is here. And... Okay, it makes it it makes it interesting for those of those people out there that are gambling. Uh, you know, because we have a lot more legal sports uh, betting nowadays. Gambling on spring training games, which if you ever thought in the beginning, with all the changes in the lineups and rosters, now you now you got to roll the inning. I mean, you got today. The Cubs are threatening. It's four three. They got. Maybe zero outs. I don't remember. But zero one outs. They got the middle of the lineup out, and they just roll the inning, and the Mariners are still up by one. So, like, uh, it's a risky move. It's the most ridiculous thing. I mean, the collectively, we've spent the last 25 years watching baseball. And you're right, Jeremy. Sports gambling's hot. It's getting legalized in more and more states. Uh, companies like DraftKings, BetMGM, it's a very, very big deal. And there's a lot of MLB money at stake. In and if you, if you hadn't heard of this, watch the commercial breaks for literally any sporting event. Anything. You'll be, you'll be filled in. in I don't, you don't have to watch the commercial breaks. You can just watch the pregame shows because it's all just yeah. – they do segments now like you're watching a segment they're like will nico horner have three hits it's going at off at minus 200 or plus 200 on DraftKings. the cubs like, the cubs the are segment. in the process of building a sports book at wrigley field the oh, old yeah. captain morgan club the is DraftKings being completely lounge. exactly getting completely rebuilt the DraftKings lounge is coming so sports gambling look it's not going anywhere it's going to continue to be a major player it's going to continue to incorporate itself into broadcast into the stadium experience right this is only going to escalate over the next decade or so with that in mind people are betting money on the outcome of spring training games where the opposing team once you load the bases they can they can call the inning off it's like you know what screw it we're done like how could anybody possibly place a wager on who's going to win a spring training game given that when the offense starts to rally the inning ends it's insane it's it's crazy and that's just going in. That's a now thing. But in, even in the past, you know, it's free training. Every team is changing after five innings. So like the, yeah. the Yankees might have great starters, but after two at bats, they're out and now it's all minor leaguers. And so you're basically just betting on which minor leagues are better, which who knows. And but the rolling of the inning is insane. It's like, it's one thing now, you know, minor league stats are obviously have been meaningless for the most part, especially minor league records, you know, win loss records. So now even more so now it's like, you, there's nothing to take away with that when teams are just, all right, we're off the field. And I'm going to be honest, just to give my opinion on rolling the inning. I don't mind it that much. It's frustrating when you're watching a game, you're rooting yeah. for your team, your Cubs are going to have a chance that you're like, Oh, come on. But I don't need to see 
some pitcher, some 22 year old, or even a starter that's like ready to get into the season. It, we're four days, five days in spring training. I don't even see them throwing 40 pitch no. innings that are like, I get it. You want to be competitive. You're selling full price tickets that I understand. Although this is a little weird year. So not as many fans, but that I understand a full people paying money. They want to get a real experience, but, uh, but for the team, like, I don't want guys getting hurt. There's no point in that. I rather, and someone who is unlikely to be in the ballpark for a spring training game anytime soon, I'm fine with it. Spring training is about getting guys their work. Um, There's no point in continuing an inning longer than you need to. I'm fine with having the ability to roll the inning. Yeah. And so, and just to add, um, I would be okay with it being a more permanent feature as well in terms of spring training, not just 2021. Maybe we, you put a limit on it in terms of like how we're doing this year with uh, the inning games. Maybe there's a certain date where you're not allowed to roll the inning after more after March 15th or something. Who knows? Maybe you but, can only roll a certain number of innings per ball game. Yeah. I don't mind. Like, cause early on in spring training this early, there's no point I mean, I, and there's no point in like, oh, they could say, you know, you could bring a new pitcher in, but then there, you throw everybody's schedules off. There's no point having, a, I mean, the, the Mariners did the other day, I think maybe, but there's no point in having like an unscheduled pitcher coming in, throwing now his schedules off, like just get guys ready for, for regular season. Yeah, even, even in normal times, we, we see games end after nine innings in a tie because the visiting team only brings so many pitchers with them on a given day. This is just a logical extension of that. You, there, there's no point in getting guys off their schedule, uh, which is very, very tightly set you, that this guy needs to throw on this day because that's how they ramp up. There's no point in messing that up in the name of exhibition games. There, there is only one. There, I, I, would, I would just throw one caveat in there, and I do understand one possible argument uh, against it would be, I do think there is also value, though, in getting some guys work in high leverage spots. You know, you don't want everybody just have like the most easy day out there. You know, you, you do want to get some practice in that. I would, I would think, you know, two on one out, a situational situation, uh, situational situation, but a situational um, spot. So I, I do understand that. So maybe that's what I'm saying. Like maybe at some point you do want to get that work in, but first week of the season, first week of spring training, I, I'm perfectly fine with it. I know yeah. all the White Sox fans are mad. Tony Russo is out there saying, well, we won't, we'll try not to do it, but. I'm totally fine with it. I just think too, though, to kind of bring the gambling aspect sort of home, it's just insane to wager on something like this. And like certain sports lend itself to gambling. And I think we're two weeks away from maybe the perfect example of it here in the United States. And that's March Madness. Even the casual office pool is a very popular thing to bet on in terms of sports gambling in this country. And for obvious reasons, why anybody would place a bet on a spring training game with these crazy rules where innings get rolled over and there's pitch limits. You just time to pump the brakes, folks. If you're, if you're, if you're putting money on spring training games, log off a DraftKings. go for a walk or something. There's a little number out there that I think it's like a 1-800 number you call that yeah. number to make sure because you should not be putting money on some street training no. games in my opinion and i've got you know we got our expert here uh, jeremy you and i are buddy kern mr sparty he in fact is the director of it for behind Pardon. the yellow line podcast a big 10 guy i love chatting with him about the ins and outs of of you know putting some wagers on sports games but even he agrees it's insane to do it for spring training and baseball in general i do not think that sport is is really one that you should ever be gambling on. It's way too random. You know, I, I, you know what happens over a random baseball game over the course of the season. But spring training, woof. Um, and last point on a woof. 
look, it's spring training. I'm happy there's games on TV, but boy, these ESPN broadcasts are brutal. And that Cubs game the other day, Jason Benetti, who I understand why he has endeared himself to White Sox fans. He's a staple of college basketball broadcasts. Him and Mendoza calling a Cubs game, oh, it was, it was tough to get through, I got to tell you. Uh, cringy from top to bottom. Yeah, and, and to me, the one thing I don't like, and I actually do like, I like when they're talking to the players in spring training on the field. I find that entertaining. It's, invo- it's, usually, it's often involved in the game because there's actual things happening during the game. You know, like last year, they had, last year they had Rizzo and Bryant mic'd up in the middle of the game. That was awesome. Loved it. Not a fan of these FaceTime interviews in the middle of a game that's taken completely away from the game. I, they had some decent stuff with Rizzo and Javi. They had, uh, you mentioned Hayward earlier. They had yeah, the stuff. weather report with Jay Hay. It was nice, but like, come on, I'm trying to watch a game. I don't, I, it's a weird FaceTime. It's not yeah. like that was only, inter- that was interesting just because they had the weather and the weather was going to affect the game. But like, there's uh, especially when it's like I, I'm obviously not a Mariners fan, but I, I and the Cubs are up, and I, I don't know I, I don't need to see LJ uh, whoever pitched for the Mariners that I'm barely even familiar with, uh, you know, giving a FaceTime interview, taking up a quarter of the screen on the one side, and I'm like, let me watch, and it's just it's just it has nothing to do with the game, and it's obviously I know Randall has thoughts on this. It's obviously been an issue with all I feel like all ESPN productions, even their college basketball stuff, NFL stuff. It like they're they're not there to talk about the game as much, and I know Randall has thoughts on that, so I'll let him take that away. Yeah, you, you know, I think the issue is twofold, and part of it is pandemic related. Right now, um, if you're following MLB preseason, players and other personnel they're doing their media availability kind of in these little picnic areas out in front of the team facilities in order to stay properly distanced. So you're by putting them on the broadcast, you're piping them in through Zoom basically, and half the time. The players are glitchy and they're, they're cutting in and out. And that certainly doesn't serve any purpose. There's, I think there's a lot of value to getting the players on these broadcasts. Jeremy, you mentioned a game last preseason where they had Rizzo and Bryant mic'd up on the field. And, you know, Rizzo swings and he lines one into right center. And he says, I'm going for two. I'm going for two. Nope, nope. I'm staying here at first. So that's funny. That's entertaining. And you can do that in the spring. And even interviews with players in the dugout are fun too. You know, they had Javi and Rizzo on uh, during the ESPN game this week. And they ask Javi, if you could ask Rizzo anything, what would you ask him? And Javi pauses. He goes, can I borrow your boat? And, you know, it's funny. Players have personalities and MLB is just not good. They're terrible at marketing player personalities. Anything to do that better, I think, should be looked at. My biggest issue really is, and this extends to their regular season games too. We saw it a lot with their broadcast of the KBO, the Korean baseball organization games during the pandemic. So often they are entirely disinterested in discussing the game going on in front of them. And it's like they're recording a baseball podcast over this broadcast of the game. I don't think there's no room for that, especially in a national broadcast where your audience is going to be a little more casual and maybe has more interest in learning what's going on around baseball uh, in addition to what's going on in the game in front of them. What would I like the least? And again, this is more of a regular season issue than it is the spring. I just don't like them co-opting the entirety of the broadcast for that. If you want to simulcast Sunday night baseball and make it this kind of around baseball podcast broadcast type thing, that's fine. Leave me with the local broadcast. So if I want to watch the game and it means something to me, I can do that. It, it, it takes 
all of the enjoyment away. When the Cubs are playing a meaningful game on Sunday night, I'd like to follow along. And in the middle of the game, we're talking about Matt Carpenter's salsa. I just don't think that that serves as much of the audience as it could. There was one moment the that only really stuck with Randall. You know, the salsa. The salsa, the salsa really sticks with me. I don't think that serves as much of the audience as it could in the name of trying to go for kind of a wider but less interested audience. And I think that's uh, an issue with all the national broadcasts. Fox has the same issues. Interviews, mid-innings, just a whole lot of things that take away from watching the game. Have either of you seen what ESPN has done with Baseball Tonight, which is really was their I flagship program? Baseball Tonight a long time ago, within the last... L- probably about 10 years ago. It's like, I, 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 yeah, it's been gone. I haven't watched it. I, I hear you. Look, I, it hasn't been a staple. I caught it last year at some point. I didn't uh, it was, was before on. one of the games. You should see what they have done with baseball tonight. Um, it is embarrassing. And this is the same network that I, I think I just read is, is given something like four years, 30 million to skip Bayless to come back to be reunited with Stephen A. Smith. No, he, so he, you know he, what? He's staying at Fox Sports. They, they offered him. Okay. That they offered so they, him a big contract, but he Skip took the 432 to stay at Fox Sports. So nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Just all I'm saying is take five minutes before opening day, put on five minutes of baseball tonight, and you're gonna. I laughed. I was laughing at my TV, going like this. It's like um, an influencer meets like a VH1 uh, award show before some ele- some celebrity event. It is totally cringy. And it's embarrassing because baseball tonight, not that long ago, well, maybe 10 years ago, it was a staple. Look, the, the sport media industry has changed. The way that people access sports content has changed a lot since then. Social media is a big driver of that. But it's, it's a shell of what it used to be, and it's bad, folks. So if you want to laugh, you need to throw up or something, put on baseball tonight. It's brutal. You know, ESPN is, is an, industry, an industry name. They have world-class resources, world-class access. And they, they use it for, for, for nothing particularly useful so much of the time. And that's their biggest problem. I actually didn't mind uh, the KBO stuff as much last year, just because we were in the pandemic. They're not familiar with the KBO. We're not, the people watching it aren't familiar with the KBO. And I, I understand. It's 4 a.m. So like that right. much, I, I don't mind as much, but the rest of it, like, I even like the dugout ones kind of bothered me too, because it's off because there's the off the, the, the game is on delay. So the FaceTime, you're getting all the reactions early. Even when Rizzo hit that shot and they're doing Javi, Javi's going nuts. The pitch hasn't been thrown yet. I don't know what's happening. I'm like, Oh, he must've just got this. And obviously there's a catch, but when they're doing, when the Mariners were up and they're doing the Mariners dugout, like I could hear all this cheering and stuff like that coming through the TV. And I'm like, I'm trying to watch the game and it's kind of throwing me off and it's like I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Like it was kind of annoying. It was it's, kind of it's disjointed. Too the much game. going on. There's too much going on. And again, like, it's spring training. Broadcast. I thought it was better when Hayward and Bryant were out of the dugout because, like, I could at least they, it was at least not so much going on out there, and the game could actually just flow. It's it's a spring training broadcast. It's whatever. Right. So my concern is that this this manner of addition to the broadcast is more and more beginning to permeate the regular season broadcasts. And again, it just seems like some didn't, some nights it's anything, literally anything to avoid actually discussing the game going on in front of you. And I, and I have a, so I have a kind of a problem with some of the announcers they have is sometimes I don't feel like they're necessarily prepared for the teams they're calling. 
they're kind of just like there to just talk about this general, as you're saying, aspect when things are happening and they're talking directly about things that are happening in the game. It doesn't feel like uh, they're, I mean, but pretty decent at, at it. obviously he covers the white Sox, So he, you know, he's going to be able to, but there are certain broadcasters on that network. They're calling baseball games that seem to not really have much information about the teams they're calling that they're not as prepared on. It's it, platitudes. It, it, it's platitudes masquerading as analysis. Somehow every player manages to need to be more consistent while also giving their team a spark. It, it, it's, it's generalities disguised as analysis. I'll say, though, I kind of feel that way watching Marquee Sports Network from time to time as well. And I, I'm not shitting on Boog, who I think is going Boog to be a new, wonderful so. addition. I've been one of the biggest JD fans. I'm talking more about the extras that are helping oh, out yeah. with Cubs broadcast. It's well, a disaster. That's true. That's true. But, those aren't the, but that, those aren't the people in the booth calling the game in the moment. Like, I, you know, I'm not talking about sideline reporters or I'm talking about people that are supposed to be the color commentator, the analyst talking. We're talking about certain certain husbands of certain certain music stars. Well, I are, was talking about other people as well. I was talking well, about maybe certain that's, that's women's softball about. players that are that are glorified that don't really seem to really kind of know what's going on. Often. That's what I'm talking about. There's yeah. there's a lot of issues with certain broadcasters pushing pushing narratives, pushing falsehoods, just not being prepared for the broadcasts. And again, it all adds up to make for a, a disjointed and not altogether pleasant broadcast experience a lot of the time. Well, ESPN has drastically reduced their number of national broadcasts here moving forward. Um, pretty it's much Sunday sad. night baseball yeah. is going to be most of the time where you're going to see baseball on ESPN. Then things like opening day, certain holidays will get a little bit more coverage. But uh, those midweek games, the Staples, Monday night, Wednesday night baseball, those things really move into the wayside in terms of ESPN coverage. Um, the last point I guess I have on that before we move into some comes transactions is I just don't understand who these broadcasts are appealing to. And what I mean by that is I know that these broadcasts are off-putting for hardcore fans because you see it, right? The people that care to watch a Sunday night baseball game are almost unanimously put off by the state that the broadcast booth or the broadcasts are in. The casual fan, I don't know that they care about the things that these people are talking about. So why don't you just create a broadcast for the people that are actually going to be watching it? and see what comes from that and, you know, promote the game, build the sport. All of that stuff's really important. Uh, some Cubs transactional news here on the pitching front, Ryan Tapera on the 40 man roster. So long Dwayne Underwood, he gets DFA'd certainly um, some possibility of, of him maybe coming back on a minor league deal, but he's off the 40 man for now and DFA'd this one though. I wanted to talk to you more about, especially you Randall, a familiar face from the division, a 10 year major league veteran, the soon to be 35 year old, with the glasses, Eric Sogard gets an invitation to camp here for the Cubs. He's fighting for a spot on that big league roster on opening day. Randall, I'm sure you love seeing the former Brewer great in Cubby Blue. Uh, you know, he didn't spend all that much time in Milwaukee. I think of him more with Oakland, to be honest. Um, you know, there's, I don't think there's any such thing as a bad minor league signing. He's not taking up a 40-man spot. Uh, we seldom, if ever, get money on minor league signings, and if they do, uh, it's usually no more than a million or, or two million. I don't know what Eric Sogard really brings to this roster. I think that David Bodie and Ildemaro Vargas, if you don't believe that Nico Horner is the answer, I think Bodie and Vargas are at least the equal of Sogard together. Uh, he had his one decent season in 2019. He was good enough to be traded midseason. Uh, he had a great power year, but everyone had a great power year in 2019. 
I, I don't necessarily know what he brings, maybe a little more contact oriented profile. I, I don't think he should impact this roster in, in any way, honestly, he can be a camp body. He can go play at Des Moines. Uh, eventually he can keep him at the alternate training site. If somebody gets hurt, uh, it's not a signing that I think moves the needle one way or the other. I'm not a huge uh, Sogard fan. I was always kind of weirded out when, you know, he signed with the Bruce for like 5 million last year and people were kind of freaking out. And I was like, it's Eric Sogard. I, it's not I, worth I getting it worked up. I don't over think Eric it was Sogard like, one way or the other. like a sign of anything. And I'm like, but I will say this uh, Cubs, they don't have any, I mean, they don't really have any left-handed bats uh, in the infield, obviously not on the left side, but, uh, or I mean, Dave Rizzo, but the, I would think you would want a, another left-handed bat uh, at second base for Vargas, Bodie, Warner, all right-handers. I think he doesn't hit the ball hard, but he plays a passable defense. He's, it's a better sign than Kipnis, I think, that the Cubs had last year because uh, Kip couldn't play the field, and Sogard plays a passable defense. Uh, offensively, I think they're similar. I think Sogard might be a little bit better in terms of contact. Uh, Kipnis might hit the ball a little harder, but and they have kind of similar launch angles, which I actually think plays well at Wrigley because they're both hitting the ball in the air. It seems like Sogard's kind of max out. He hits a lot of balls like 350 feet which to right field, which I actually think could play well for the Cubs because they're high shots, especially if he gets in the wind, if the wind's blowing out, they might carry a little bit. You look at an overlay of his, uh, um, you know, hits in 2019, he probably would have added a bunch of homers. So, cause in 2019, he was at Toronto, which has very short walls, uh, hitters ballpark. So that's why he was hitting so many homers. You, you put a guy like Sogard in a, a Yankee stadium. He probably had a ton of homers there too. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I think Vargas is a good defender and he can possibly play the outfield. So he gives you that. Uh, and he's been able to hit lefties, obviously Josh Hader, but I mean, Bodie can kind of do that. And Nico can kind of do that. So like it's three guys that all can kind of do the same thing. Sogard gives you something that those guys don't do that. He can hit right-handers. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't think there's anything to lose here. If there's something there, great. If not, no big deal. He's with the team for a couple of weeks in the spring. Right. Um, I will say, though, the return of a player from the National League Central to the Cubs always always brings out one of my favorite traditions here. And exactly. I want to share it with the podcast. And Randall, I haven't run this by you yet, so I, I'm, I can feel you rolling your eyes already. I can feel the death stare. One of my favorite things to do when the Cubs apply, uh, acquire a player who had been in the division or had faced the Cubs recently is hop on the old tweeter. And I go to the search function and I type in at Randall J. Sanders and then that player's name. And I like to kind of see over the years some of the great tweets that Randall has fired off in the moment. I pulled out three tweets regarding Eric Sogard that I wanted to share with the world. And Randall, two of them come from the same night. So maybe this is going to kind of scratch your memory a little bit here. So, folks, let's go back in time. September 21, 2017, 7.34 p.m. Let me throw a shout-out, though. I doubt he's listening, but happy happy birthday, Scott Frankel, September 21. All right. Yeah, uh, uh, Mr. Frankel there with the birthday. So September 21, 2017, 7.34 p.m. And, Randall, if I recall correctly, you would have been in, like, the Evanston uh, house at that point, right? 2017. I would have still been living in Skokie Evanston. Yes. Okay. So Randall's on the border of Skokie and Evanston quote. I just can't fathom being bothered by Eric Sogard and Neil Walker here in 2017. And Randall's right. nodding right now. Hey, <laughs> makes hey, sense. He, right? he wasn't bothered by Eric Sogard in 2020. He just said it five minutes ago when the Cubs didn't sign him to a $5 million deal. Cause he wasn't bothered by that. 
Here's the thing, though. 45 minutes later, 8.16 p.m., this entire tweet, all uppercase letters, quote, son of a bitch, all because you can't retire Keon Broxton and Eric Sogard, no big deal, not like this game means anything. Randall, I think you were bothered by Eric Sogard on September 21st, 2017. Look, I said what I said. You shouldn't be bothered by Eric Sogard (laughs) here in 2017. I regret nothing. Last one to share with you all. This one's from uh, just a couple weeks ago, February 15th, 2021, 1.14 p.m. In response to a tweet someone else wrote about Sogard potentially landing with the Cubs, Randall writes uh, eloquently, quote, we as a society <laughs> have progressed past the need for Eric Sogard. <laughs> oh, God. I, have, I have no regrets. I don't, think I'm, anything in, I don't think I'm saying anything indefensible. Um, I said what I said. And we now know why Randall is anti-Sogard. Oh, wow. Evolved past the need for an Eric Sogard. <laughs> but again, fans, if you're out there, hop on Twitter, type in the at Randall J. Sanders. Just type in a name of somebody who's played baseball, especially Hernan a Cardinal. Hernan Perez, just pick a name and a scroll. You're going you're gonna to get some good laughs in there. I guarantee it. Um, final segment, though, here on the show, we do want to start our positional overview. We decided to start with the outfield because that appears to be the most established here. Um, the locks in right field, Jason Hayward. Ian Happ should be the everyday center fielder. Jock Peterson will be the regular and left. Um, we sort of agreed, assuming his health is okay. Jake Marisnik, pretty much a lock to make the team as the extra outfielder. And then a whole slew of guys guys sort of vying for that last outfield spot. Um, Let's go player by player, though, and I want to start in right field. Uh, Jason Hayward back in right field coming off of a really compelling season. Right. His whole time in Chicago has kind of been mired by inconsistency or underperformance offensively, although he has remained one of the elite defenders in Major League Baseball. Last year, Randall, we saw a bit of a different Jason Hayward. The on-base percentage was up, taking more walks. What do you think Jason Hayward is here in 2021? Uh, you know, I, I'm inclined to think that a lot of his effectiveness last year was in the shorter season and maybe more able to use him in the right matchups. Hayward has always been able to hit certain pitchers, uh, again, being the left-handed batter that he is. If you use him in the right way, Jason Hayward can be a very productive offensive player. And we've seen that a little bit uh, in the last couple seasons where Madden and then Ross uh, have made a point of putting him in certain situations and in 2019 he was hitting pretty decently and they moved him to center field and they moved into the leadoff spot with the acquisition of Nick Castellanos and it sort of went downhill from there Um, and you know guys you move them to new spots in the lineup you change positions it can have an effect on them mentally and it can just kind of tank things Hayward has shown that if you use him in the right situations if you use him in the right matchups Um, And you, I guess for lack of a better word, when you protect him properly, he can be a very productive offensive player. So hopefully David Ross has taken some of the lessons learned in the past couple seasons, and he will continue to apply those to Hayward going forward. Yeah, Hayward's interesting because if you look at his career, he's basically improved every single year as a Cub. I mean, every year has been better than the last. So I guess this season, if, if, you know, tradition holds, it will be even better than last year. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see him come around a little bit. He's obviously declined a little bit on the defensive end. He's not quite as good as he was when he first signed him. 
but I, he's always hit the ball pretty hard with the Cubs. And I think he's actually, I, I think he's a useful player offensively. I don't know if he'll have the big season he had last year, but I don't, I don't really think I, he's going to be a terrible offensive hitter. Like he was the first two years he was here. So I, I think he'll give you probably an average bat, maybe a slightly above average bat, depending on the way like Randall says they use him. Uh, he's struggled a little bit against left-handers, but he's been able to hit right-handers. He's going to play a solid defense. So he's a useful player, and I, I like having Jason around. He's obviously a team leader, so I think he's going to have a solid season. I, I don't expect anything terrible. I don't think he's going to have like a big four or five win season, but I can see like a two three win season. I think that that's reasonable. Jeremy center field, Ian Happ pretty much has that job. He's going to be the regular out there. Um, also brought a little bit of consistency to the leadoff spot last year, something that's been missing since Dex left. Uh, what do you see in Ian coming into twenty twenty one? Yeah, we've talked about Ian a lot. Uh, we talked about him last week, so I uh, probably don't have to go too much in depth on Ian. But, uh, you know, obviously Ian was had a monster year last year, and he struggled towards the end. He did get hit in the eye off a foul ball, so that might have something to do with it. Uh, you never know. He probably scratched the surface of something there on the eye. But, uh, you know, he, uh, I think he's going to have a decent year. I, yeah, I think he's going to have a decent year. And I, I think, you know, I think he's probably going to have another above average season. Uh, I expect a lot of walks, expect some power. So we'll see how he hits from the right side. But, uh, you know, he's going to be your everyday hitter. And I hopefully he's going to be your everyday leadoff hitter. Or excuse me, everyday center fielder. And hopefully he's going to be your everyday leadoff hitter. So he really solidify that position. Any thoughts on Ian Randall? Yeah, as you said, he brought consistency to uh, the leadoff spot. You'd like to see him maybe get on base a little bit more hitting out of that leadoff spot. His on-base percentage batting leadoff in 2020, 333, which is average. You can get by with that. If he's going to be your leadoff hitter, you'd like to see him maybe get on base a little bit more. But what they've lacked since Dexter Fowler left has been consistency at the top of the lineup. They've tried a lot of different guys. And if Ian Happ can be even average and still productive as your everyday leadoff hitter, leave him there and hopefully let the rest of the rest of the lineup produce around him. Jock Peterson, probably the most aggressive free agent signing the Cubs have had, certainly the biggest name that they've brought in the defending world series champ with the Dodgers the last couple of years, he should be the mainstay in left field. Jeremy, we've talked a little bit about Jock, especially a couple of weeks ago when he was signed. Um, but a positive thing we've seen here in spring training, man, he's crushed the baseball. Yes. It's come off Cubs pitching, but he's hit some long towering home runs here in camp. Uh, he's had some towering home runs off other pitching too. He crushed the ball against the Mariners. So, uh, I, I'm excited for Jock. I think he's a good fit. I think he's going to hit well. They were talking about a little bit today, uh, Boog and uh, JD. It's going to be interesting because they talked about how Jock, you know, he really – he wants a chance, a chance to prove he's an everyday player. He came here. Uh, Jed told him that David makes the lineup, so it's not Jed's call. But, uh, you know, he's – and they were saying, you know, there's not a lot of lefties in the NL Central, so he's probably going to play a lot. But the real question is going to come late in games – is he going to face Josh Hader in a major spot? Is he going to face, uh, you know, Amir Garrett on the Reds in a major spot? Uh, you know, those types of lefties that just hard throwers. Um, Ken Jock, you know, he's probably not going to be in those situations. But I expect a lot. Of, I, I, love, I love the signing. I think he's going to play well in Wrigley. We'll see how he fits in defensively early on. You know, Wrigley's tough, they're talking about. But I assume he'll adapt to that. And uh, he's, I think he's a better fielder than Schwarber and he's going to take his walks 
more contact than Schwarber. So one thing that this Cubs team you can expect probably is more contact than last year. Uh, Mike uh, Petriello wrote an article about that in Baseball Savant. Uh, the Cubs actually project to have the biggest contact increase of any team in baseball. So that's a good thing. So uh, uh, and he, and a part of it is getting moving from Schwarber to Peterson. Um, so I like Jock. I think he's a really good fit for this team. Jeremy, you mentioned whether uh, Peterson takes those at bats late in big game situations uh, against tough left-handed relievers question maybe of whether he's even still in the game at all at that point, or do the Cubs get into a regular habit of bringing in Marisnik as your defensive center fielder late in games and moving half over to left, which is an excellent defensive outfield. So uh, Marisnik has yet to, I believe, get into a game with the well, Cubs. I doubt they put Marisnik in if they're not like winning. <laughs> Well, right. No, or taking right. it late. I was yeah, thinking, like, you've got a, a lead. To if haters in, then Cubs are probably losing or tied. Well, you know, the, ho- hopefully this will be the season where they, uh, they turn that around a little bit more. We saw them do that last year and it was a lot of fun. Maybe they, uh, they, they developed a taste for it. Um, but, you know, question of how they're going to use Marisnik as a, a spot starter, defensive replacement. So hopefully we'll get a look at that. Um, as he uh, starts to get into some spring games as the, the schedule moves on. With the expectation, it's Hayward, Hat, Peterson as sort of the regulars in the outfield. Quick question to each of you. In each of these instances, Jeremy, if you want to go first, Randall second, just give me the name. We'll go through this rapid fire. Who will have the most home runs of the Cubs outfielders this year? Peterson. Hap. Who will have the highest on-base percentage? Obviously qualifying batters. Jeremy, go first. Uh, that's an interesting question. I'll just say Hap. Hap. And then outfield assists. Who will pace the way for the Cubs in the outfield? Hayward. <laughs> that was unanimous. I love it, guys. I, the, the, uh, the second question was interesting because I feel like they all could put up high OVPs. It's compelling. Um, it's certainly compelling. And one thing I liked about Jock, too, just to kind of throw my two cents in there, is that I think the Cubs are really a perfect situation for him. He's going to get an opportunity to play every day. Wrigley Field with the wind blowing out could be a very, very comfortable place for someone like Jock Peterson. You know, there are benefits to playing in the National League West, especially when you're playing a lot of road games at Coors Field. But there are some tough hitting ballparks in the National League West as well. San Francisco certainly comes to mind. San Diego. So, San Diego, you're right, and L.A., yeah. So getting into the National League Central, Cincinnati's a ballpark the ball flies out of. Wrigley can be very friendly for hitters. Uh, Miller Park, when that roof is closed, I mean, it's a very nice place to hit a baseball. Uh, Uh, They they call themselves American Family Ballpark now. I'm sorry, yes. We need to respect that. The uh, Am can instead of the uh, Miller Lite can. Um, but it, it, so I'm, I'm also, Jeremy, very excited with Peterson. We mentioned Jake Marisnik is probably the four, assuming his calf injury isn't anything too concerned uh, to be with. So in terms of that number five spot, that last outfielder, a couple of guys in the mix, the front runner is likely Cameron Mabin, who we saw obviously last year, a couple more names in there, Nick Martini, Ian Miller, and Jeremy, I know you're dying to say it. The guy who was almost in the line, I let it go. Yeah, I'm putting it out there. That's I'm glad we're talking about Mike Hermosillo, uh, former Illinois football commit and was going to also play baseball at Illinois until the Angels drafted him. So I, I count him. Mike Hermosillo, Michael Hermosillo, you're in Illini. Who, who do you think uh, comes in as number five with the I, South? I think team? obviously Mabin is probably the, you know, leader in the clubhouse. He's, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's uh, a longtime major leaguer. He's had the success. Other guys probably can start in the minors. Uh, they're all on minor league deals. 
Uh, Martini, another uh, Illinois guy. I saw him hit a homer when he was in Oakland, and he hit one in Wrigley, uh, but he played at Kansas State. But, you know, I like Hermosillo not just because he's in the lineup, but he also is a guy who's had minimum success against left-handed pitching, and we've talked about it. Cubs don't have any outfield who can hit left-handed pitching, and Hermosillo is a guy who's had that. So maybe he can show something. I mean, he could probably start in Iowa, though. So I'm assuming Maven gets the call. He's a major league veteran. He's been around. He's probably the best defensive player, although obviously Hermosillo is an athlete. He's going to play running back at the Illinois. So, um, you know, those are the guys. I, I just wanted to get Hermosillo out there, get him some love. He's hit some two monster homers for the Cubs in spring training from Ottawa, uh, Illinois. Jeremy, if you hadn't said it, I would have. Hermosillo with uh, an excellent reputation for hitting uh, left-handed pitching in his minor league career. And as you said, that's something the Cubs lack. So I'm inclined to agree that Mabin is probably uh, on track to be that fifth outfielder. And I think they probably brought him in kind of with that being uh, quietly suggested to him, perhaps. Um, But Hermosillo is an intriguing option because, as you said, he brings something else to the offense that they don't have. So as, as interesting as the battle for fifth outfielder can be in a given spring, I am interested to see that play out this spring. Yeah, and I just want to say uh, when he committed to the Illini, at the time he was going by Miguel. So the whole Michael thing became when he was a major league player. So I, or I'm sure it was actually when he went by in high school, but what was reported as Miguel. So I was always like, Miguel Hermosillo, he's going to play uh, football. Well, you know, each week here, I sort of have a, a bet with myself. Um, what is Jeremy going to mention more? Uh, Eddie Vedder slash Pearl Jam we or the University of Illinois? And we Although haven't heard any the Mar- yet. Apparently the Mariners are out there trying to get uh, Theo to come by, and they're using Eddie, saying, hey, you can come out and hang out with Eddie in uh, Seattle. Well, it couldn't be any worse than the uh, last team president that they had in Seattle, a total asshole, and the comments that he made in a Rotary Club meeting, of all things. I think Kevin Mather, was that his name? Kevin Mather, that right? yeah. I've been, I've yeah. been to uh, a couple, not Rotary Clubs, but a Chicago Economic Club, one with Rocky Wirtz and one with Tom Ricketts. And the Rocky Wirtz one, I can see him saying things like that. He was down to earth <laughs> with John McDonough, and they were just going out. Tom Rick is straight and treated it like it was like a it was right after he bought the team, like it was some sort of presentation. He had like slides and stuff. Very matter of fact, I don't think he was ever he would ever say something like that. But Rocky Wirtz was just saying whatever came to his mind, and it was pretty awesome because he was giving you all the details and secrets, and it was funny. Well- if you're the type of person who um, kind of, you know, like gets off on watching a sports executive and their career, yeah. uh, go watch what Kevin Mather said. It's readily available online. Uh, John Boy had a great breakdown of it, um, but really kind of bad. Uh, one, I mean, the things he said were terrible, but the fact that I know he's not the only baseball executive who thinks that way, talks that way, that stuff pisses me off as a baseball fan. Um, so check that out if you wish. Forced errors. Just like, why are you yeah. saying that? Like the whole comment about the, television deal just makes no sense it's like talking about how they have such a great deal that they're so overpaid comment like, about, say that publicly comment about the player translators comment oh, about well, that is obviously terrible I'm, but i'm just on a whole nother level that's you know i'm just talking about that seems like bad negotiations when that deal comes well, up you know kind of keeping the theme going here i wanted to end the podcast this week with some levity and this actually stemmed from a conversation jeremy and i was having earlier this week with our guy kern listening to the show big lansing Lugnuts fan who's going to be joining us in a couple of weeks on yeah. the pod yeah. um, but we got into talking about famous people who have blocked you on twitter so i wanted to get started here jeremy uh, you've got two names in the sport media world people who've blocked you on twitter who are they they are Dan Dockage, who is no longer on Twitter. 
that's a win for you. Him yeah. blocking you. That that's a, that's I, a W. And hold on, let me just point out. Like I don't. A lot of people blocked deservedly, but I don't think I was blocked deservedly. I don't. I did Dockage. Get... He was calling a game. He made some comment about how Glenn Robinson was the best player he ever saw in the Big Ten. Now, obviously, knowing Dockage is older man, uh, probably about 50, 60 years old, lived through a long period of time. I tweeted something like, it's absurd that Dan Dockage, not tagging him, by the way, Dan Dockage thinks that the big dog is a better player than Magic Johnson, who Dan Dockage probably saw playing the Big Ten, even if he wasn't in college at the time. He was probably in high school. Apparently, Dockett somehow saw it, and he blocked me over that. Because that's the only thing. It was like right after that I got blocked. Number two was a little bit more of a back and forth, though nothing I thought crossed the line. Uh, with ESPN you know, writer Buster Olney, who apparently, I think it was more because he was trying to like, kind of for himself, he couldn't stop he, he was compelled to reply to things so he just kind of blocked me we were having a discussion he wrote an article about tanking in baseball and how mlb needs a draft lottery and i said mlb does not need a draft lottery i thought the draft lottery was not a great idea not a very smart idea didn't really i was not insulting i just was laying out my opinion i didn't think it i was responding i don't expect you know an espn anal, uh guy to just keep responding to everything i say necessarily on the twitter but after a back and forth of about five six tweets which we're not, I didn't call him any names. There was no, I, I have the screenshots. Anybody wants to see him. Um, he was not a fan apparently. And he just gave the block, I think, cause he just didn't want to see any more responses. Cause we were having a conversation and I think he just blocked an easy way not to get a response, which I think is a little unfair. If you're in the public forum, a writer, I think that's an unfair block because I think I should be, you know, I, I can't see anything he tweets now. I don't get any information. Anybody retweets something he says, I just says, I'm not allowed to see it, which I think is a little unfair. It's a quick trigger. I think if you're in the public forum, I understand totally being able to block people that are harassing you, but if you're having a discussion with a fan, a fan or a reader, I don't think you should just get a block just for having a discussion. Uh, you know, and I still stand by that. I don't think the draft lottery, which hasn't happened. This is about 10 years ago, by the way, 2014, maybe not 10 years, 15. I don't think that it hasn't happened yet. And uh, so he was mad that the Astros got three straight for number one picks, you know, and I pointed out that those picks didn't do anything except for Korea. Two of them never made it to the majors with the Astros. So like tanking at base or a lottery baseball is too much of a crapshoot. The draft did really. <laughs> so you got Buster only. I got Buster only. Dan Dockage. I well, now compelled- I, I really only have Buster only because Dockage isn't on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I feel compelled to say this because I love my alma mater. I'm a proud Indiana Hoosier. My eye doctor is a proud Indiana Hoosier. Dan Dockage is an embarrassment. And I will say I have met him personally. I was covering Indiana basketball games about a decade ago. I bumped into him at the Big Ten tournament. He was an asshole to me. I've never liked him. I thought he was a, um, a clown when he was the coach at Indiana. I didn't like how that thing played out. Granted, he was put in a bad spot with the end of Kelvin Sampson and all that. But he's very, very difficult to listen to. College basketball, particularly the Big Ten, is really, really fun to watch. I find college basketball to be infinitely more enjoyable, a better visual experience than watching the NBA. Yet Dan Dockage is on there, and it's cringe. So 
I uh, I'm sorry that he represents Indiana University That's because he's the not Dockage as best too is Dan Dockage calling games because Dockage elsewhere on Twitter on well, his radio show everywhere else is not that great. Yeah. Dockage as best is calling games. Sports talk radio is about as bad as it gets, and he epitomizes that. Well, in let, the me Indiana area. let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Ronan. I, I know you're. This is something that intrigues you. Something you get opinion on. How did you feel about during? I believe it was during the Archie Miller hiring. The Dan Dockage, David Kaplan feud that was playing back and forth over their radio stations over what type of program Indiana basketball is and by, and also on Bobby Knight. I, I think that's the most compelling argument to never go on Twitter. Right. Were David you a fan Kaplan, of that? Did you did you did you tune in on both shows and really listen I did to not, Kaplan I did not. and uh, I, uh, Dockage go at each other? The only David Kaplan programming that I have enjoyed was about two weeks of those those post-game cap hits where he's had a couple hits of the bottle oh, and he's like him. standing in his backyard last he's summer giving the, for the, the recaps. Yeah, um, I kind of got a kick out of that, that and then it got old real quick after two weeks or so. He's um, but no, I, kind of basketball today. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a dog in this particular college basketball discussion. I will say Dan Dockage versus David Kaplan uh, is very much Ken Watanabe and Godzilla, let them fight. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say, here come the meteors. Or like, let's go meteors. Well, you know, you could it. go that route. But no, the first thing that comes to mind is, is Ken Watanabe delivering that well, line. Rand- Randall's that a big Twitter fun. man, so I'm sure he has some thoughts on this discussion. Well, I'm curious. Yeah, Randall, um, who has blocked you? Big names that have you know, blocked you. I, I tend to block far quicker than I get blocked. So my list is not particularly long. I do know that David Kaplan has me blocked. Um, I think at some point we determined it was uh, he, he didn't like me responding to a thread in which he was tagged, in which I'm sure I called him uh, a couple names, nothing vulgar, but also nothing inaccurate. Um, <laughs> but you so, did call him names. Well, OK, again, nothing vulgar, but also nothing inaccurate. Uh, so I, he's probably at the top of that list. Wilson Contreras actually had me blocked for a very short time, a couple Steak. years. I think he I think he misinterpreted something I said about him, in fact. Uh, I think I said that his speed in getting to his phone to tweet after a game was elite. And I think he thought I was making fun of him and he temporarily had me blocked, but that was cleared up very quickly. So David Kaplan is as far as I know at the top of that list for me. So you do say though, you're more of a blocker roughly where are we at here? How many accounts have you blocked on Twitter? Oh boy, this is going to take me a second to look up. So if the audience can bear with me, we're going to bring up a number here. The number of accounts that I have blocked, we are in uh, maybe the low 5,000. But a lot of, <laughs> a lot of that. Like 1,200 or something. I don't know why. Yeah, but a lot of that is, is bots. A lot of that is bots and completely random accounts that you know pop up in the <laughs> follows. Uh, people, people offering financial advice. So I would say if you wanted to pare it down to the number that I think are real, I'd say it's probably a lot lower than that. It's probably in the 2000s, maybe. Oh, the real people are 2000, 3,000 bots? Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, that's incredible, Randall. I don't I think I've blocked anybody. I don't think I have any blocks. It's all, well, about, I'm, curating. I'm... It's all about curating the experience. I'll say from, from my perspective on this, I've been blocked by a good chunk of the Chicago sports media. Uh, but in fairness, a lot of that came from about 10 years ago or so. Uh, the end of my college career, Twitter was sort of new. I was pretty aggressive with the likes of Paul Sullivan, and he blocked me a long time ago. But the one that I think is pretty funny, and I know exactly what caused me to get blocked by it, was the NBC Sports Chicago 
Twitter account. And what I had been bitching about with them was the fact that Gas Money is probably the worst television show other than Windy City Live that Chicago sports media has ever produced. The worst thing you can possibly do, and news, love, news media loves to do this, they go to bars with a microphone, something major happens sports-wise, and they find drunk people in the room and they ask them, hey, what do you think about the Cubs winning the division? So sports money takes that idiotic premise and asks them worse trivia questions than what we do at the beginning of the show. So I told NBC Sportsnet, this is probably the dumbest TV show I've ever seen. They end up blocking me. What was Ooh. funny about that, though, was a couple of years later, I'm at Illinois State University. I'm in grad school. I'm doing broadcasting work for the athletic department. We had some of our football games broadcast on NBC Sports Net Chicago. They picked up a couple of home games a year. So we're out there working the game. If I remember correctly, and I hope I'm not butchering this, Kurt Pegler, a staple of Central Illinois sports media, he was on the play-by-play. A former Illinois football great, Illinois meaning the state, Boomer Grigsby, was on the color commentary, and I was the sideline reporter. So NBC Sports Chicago fires off a pregame tweet, you know, uh, Illinois State football today versus I don't even know who we were playing, like Southern Illinois or Indiana State, whatever. Um, catch the game today starting at one with at Kurt Pegler, at Boomer Grigsby, at Ronan O'Shea. I couldn't even see the tweet that the TV channel sent me <laughs> because they had banned me on Twitter. So I couldn't retweet it to this day. I've been banned. Um, so periodically some Cubs stories pop up on Twitter. I can't see it. And uh, I haven't been blocked yet from Marquee Sports Network. And hopefully that will continue. I want to enjoy the broadcast on Marquee, uh, but right. that is what it is. Um, so good stuff there, guys. It's very uh, frustrating, though. Like I said, Olney, people retweet Olney and stuff. Like I, found, I have to like Google Buster Olney and then the tweets show up on the Google page. The like most recent tweets to see what people are talking about. Screenshot for the blocked. Screenshot for the blocked. A lot of Paul Sullivan pops up in the timeline, and I don't know what it is. So, uh, and but I'm not missing so much there. I remember he and I having some um, discussions about uh, kind of that '09 team, and there were some interesting characters around the team at that time. And I've never really cared for Mr. Sullivan. I know he's a staple. He's an iconic sports journalist in print history in Chicago, and he's covered some major Cubs teams. Um, No real ill will. I met him. Yeah, I met him a couple years ago at the winter meetings when it was in uh, in the Midwest, but we didn't get along too well, so that's fine. So, Paul Sullivan, if you're listening to this now, it's fine. Keep me blocked. I really don't care, uh, but some good names there. Dan Dockich, David Kaplan, Paul Sullivan, and NBC Sportsnet Chicago. But that's it for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Um, we're going to go enjoy our Friday night. We'll be back again next week. We'll look at another positional group, maybe infielders. will be what we'll take a look at next time. Again, if you've got some thoughts about my poor eye, at Randall J. Sanders, fire a tweet that way. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week here on Behind the Yellow Line.